Welcome to Book Rats. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Book Rats. Wait, I have a question. Yeah. Are we the Book Rats? Uh, y- yes, that's the name of the pod. Yes, we're. No, we're no, the no, book rats. but like individually. Individually. Yeah. I mean, I like, like are, are you that. a book rat? I think. I mean, I that that would follow. You you don't seem logically very from the name. I mean. <laughs> you, don't, you don't seem convinced that you're a book rat. I don't, I'm yeah. not really. A, I take pride in the fact that yeah. I, I'm one of the lily cretins of the earth yeah. that likes to read. Uh, yeah, Stephen and I are happy to be vermin. Is, is a book rat. Uh, <laughs> I'm happy to carry the pestilence of the plague. Is a yeah. book rat like pizza rat, but it has a book on top of it? Or is yes. it like gnawing through books? Like it or it's books. like, or it could be like the like in Ninja Turtles, like how like the rat is the one that's like training all the Ninja Turtles and everything. <laughs> you know, it could yes. be like right. that, and then you know, like we just get Domino's pizza delivered to us, like through the sewage and everything. <laughs> we could do that. Okay, yeah, like that you can cut this, but like please, okay, let me say my fucking thing. Okay, I. Tell me if this is true or not. I never watched Ninja Turtles as a kid or whatever. Did the rat have an offensive Asian accent or did I make that up? No, that's true. That's true. He had a like... It's true. It's like... It's so... Super... Super offensive. Just... And and, you know, like they're all the... They're named after all like the great, you know, painters of the Renaissance painters. You have Leonardo, you have... Right. uh, Donatello, you have... have Raul. Michelangelo. And then... uh, oh my god Raphael did you say yeah. Raphael, Raphael yeah who fucked Raphael was famous for his his promiscuity the artist or the turtle <laughs> <laughs> so yeah they were reading Aristotle so moving from Ninja Turtles to one of the very first philosophers N- yes we're reading uh, book one of the Nicomachean Ethics by Aristotle actually uh, I believe it's pronounced Terime with Chipotle. So Aristotle. 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 <laughs> I know when you said supposed to rhyme with with uh, Chipotle, I'm like, that's not how Nicomachean. Like, how did you get that from? How did uh, you get how did you get Chipotle and Nicomachean from that? That's, yeah. <laughs> no, it's Aristotle. <laughs> Aristotle. So those who don't know who Aristotle is or what Aristotle. his deal is, he was yeah. he was like so if. <laughs> If Plato was like the first philosopher, or I guess technically so- Socrates was philosopher number zero because he never wrote anything. Plato's philosopher number one. Aristotle's philosopher number two. S- solid number two. <laughs> solid number two. He 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 uh, he started his own sort this of rival. Of book rats, we have shit philosophy. Do you want to get through the sentence? Sorry. Alex? <laughs> I I I kind of want to get on that because. In recent years, meaning like the last few centuries, it feels like Aristotle has gotten kind of a bum rap. We can argue whether that's deserved or not, because for one, bum rap. Th- there's a few reasons why he's kind of uh, fallen by the wayside. One, he made a ton of scientific predictions, which were ridiculous, right? So a lot of his stuff is is what we would call natural philosophy, or what was called natural philosophy, because like empirical evidence-based science like the the scientific method wasn't developed until way into the modern era yeah i mean this guy said that rocks fall because they want to be near the earth yeah they want to be more earth-like yeah there's tons of stuff like that where he's like women have less teeth than men your fingernails (laughs) used to be claws like it's you know proof that you evolved from cats or something (laughs) he made tons of of predictions like that that turned out to be false and everyone's like did you know aristotle said the plants uh can read and like that like no one that's where people usually stop because uh, uh when engaging with them the other thing is that aristotle's had a massive influence during the medieval era like all of the medieval scholastic writers like thomas aquinas or whatever all of these you know hoary old catholics uh, uh were very influenced by aristotle and all of those writers have sort of fallen out of influence in Western philosophy. So despite at one point Aristotle standing taller than Plato in Western philosophy, sort of his star has dimmed uh, uh, considerably, but you know, maybe that's deserved. Maybe he, maybe he deserves that. We'll, we'll figure that out. Um, This particular work, Nicomachean ethics was one of two works on ethics, I believe, that he wrote. This is the famous Three. one. 
He wrote three. three. It was. Uh, let me see if I can find it. But he wrote three. The first one was kind of a wash, and the second one was a bit more of you know like it was an incomplete version of his uh, ethics. The Eudemian ethics. Eudemian, Eudemian ethics. ethics. Yeah. Nobody ever mentions that. Yeah, one. yeah, no one ever mentions that. That's one. a rough draft. But uh, yeah, and 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 for people wondering. Uh, uh, Nico Makis was his son, and also his father's name, too, so, you know. And his son's son would be named Aristotle, and his father's father would be named Aristotle. Yeah, just an A-B they just, pattern. Like, yeah, they alternate through, through it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, the Eudemian ethics, Nicomachean ethics, uh, four, four. Uh, magna, magna moralia, and right, virtues yeah. and vices. Yes. But the only one that really matters is really Nicomachean. Nicomachean. Yeah, Aristotle was very prolific, unlike... I mean, Plato was fairly prolific as well, but Aristotle, there's just a mountain of texts that he wrote on everything. And I guess we'll, we'll kind of get into it when we dive into the text, how his, what his method is like. Um, so yeah, what were people's thoughts? It's kind of a shorter reading, but... This time, uh, it's no more than 15, 15 pages? 20 pages. Yeah, it's... It, I mean, it's, it it's pretty short. We are reading just the first book. The first book. Yeah, yeah. That's, no, yeah, yeah. The, the, the Nicomachean. Yeah, there no. That's a lot long though. There are multiple books. Yeah. And that was actually my suggestion, and I did that because a couple of reasons. I think it's worth it. He has kind of a dense style of writing, and it's nice to really have the time to get deep into it. And also, the issue that he's talking about, happiness, <coughs> is one of those topics that matters so much to everyone. I felt I feel like it will have um, it'll be meaty, right? No matter yeah. what. And I, I've never read all the way through the Nicomachean Ethics, but if I remember, the first book is sort of like talking about how to talk about ethics, and the other books sort of go into a specific theory. So uh, I, I feel like there's some like very base level, like I guess, like if we want to talk about these terms, we have to first define these terms. Now that we have to find them, okay, here's another term that we have to define. That is... Was right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Okay. It's, 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 it's right. <laughs> sort of like structuring how a conversation about ethics should go. I actually want to ask, uh, what do you all think of when you hear the term ethics? Like, what do you think that means? What do you... I mean... Like, how would you define that? Just on your own, regardless of what he says. Well, what the... <laughs> um, so, I guess, for me, it's just how to live you know, ethically is, I mean, that's not really an answer. It's but it's more, concerned with moral questions. Concerned with moral right questions. Like this is, yeah, right and wrong. Exactly. Right and wrong. This right, is the right yeah. thing. This is the right way. And this is the wrong way. So there's sort of like multiple paths and it was ethics very, tells you which it was path is. Exactly. Because there's, you know, there's a sense of dualism mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. thinking when it comes to ethics or if you're going in blind and ignorant like I am, it's, that's how it's perceived is that it's there's a right way and there's a wrong way and then the ethics tells you which is the correct way mm -hmm. and yeah you you agree you feel that way that would be my general working definition of ethics yes and then i started to read this first book and i'm like well damn that's mm -hmm. actually a lot more complicated than just saying right this is the right way and this is the wrong way you have to examine everything that's in it yeah well i mean Ethics comes from the Greek word ethos, which means more way of living, right? Right. So, yeah. like you would say, different people have different ways of living, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so it's it's a little different than the sort of Christian infused notion of right or wrong and just those moral questions. Yeah. In fact, when I usually hear the word ethics, I'm more often I don't think about it. I don't associate it with what is right. I associate it with not doing what is wrong. I feel like mm -hmm. ethics often has this like constraining quality. Like when you talk about the ethics of medical research, it's telling you, you can't do this. You can't do this. You have to do this before you do it. Like it's a set of rules. And one thing that struck me while reading this uh, is that doesn't seem to be Aristotle's starting point. Like it, 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 it's a very different way of talking about ethics. I was and, very confused when I first started reading the book because I was assuming that it was like this right, wrong here it is, this is what happiness is, then discuss whatever I'm saying. Right. He never says anything like that. I mean, towards the very end, he says something similar, but never outright saying, this is what happiness is. You know? I think does he, that make sense? It does. 
I mean, he spends the first book kind of hedging, says several times, right? Yeah. This is not a subject that permits of precision. But I think he actually gets into what happiness is into some detail. Not yeah. not enough detail that you could, you know, draw yourself up a ten point list of what to do or anything. Right, yeah. But I think he gets fairly no, no, specific. Yeah, 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 that wasn't that yeah. I, that was a I misspoke myself. Yeah. And and I was actually I was pleasantly surprised because my recollection the last time I read anything of Aristotle is that he plays much faster and looser compared to Plato. Like he, I mean, he sort of was like a cataloged knowledge. At least that's what I remembered. So like he wasn't like starting from first principles and moving rigorously between ideas. It was very much like sort of like, yeah, what's, what do we think we know? What do we, what do I see in my life? Um, I but, have the opposite impression. Really? Yeah. I think Aristotle, because he is such a, a cataloger, tends to be a little more rigid sometimes rigorous, more often rigid in his thinking. I mean, he's always dividing things into, you know, this type of category, and therefore that means this, and that this must be a subcategory, and on and on. And it's always, you know, the the struggle is always seeing how well that system of divisions actually fits over the thing he claims to be dividing into pieces, right? That's interesting, because I I don't know, I guess I felt like his his tendency to catalog, which also is in this piece, we're not just talking about him in general, to me feels less precise like there's like a notion of imprecision built into it because he's trying to to build a sort of like a a positive structure of meaning rather than the sort of socratic method the platonic method of destroying everything except the base foundation of truth uh that's true and he does you know he does have that section where he says he spends a brief couple of paragraphs talking about the platonic view of what the true good is and absolute good and all that. And then he just kind of sets it aside. Yeah. He says, I'm not sure it would do, you know, your average carpenter any good to know what the true good is. That wouldn't tell him how to lead his yeah, life. Yeah, so yeah. I'm not as interested. Yeah, that, <laughs> that, that was such a, uh, the, the, the way you could, apparently the way you could tell uh, Aristotle and his followers in the, Athenian uh, intellectual scene is they were constantly walking. Like Aristotle loved the idea of like walking around <laughs> and doing a walk and talk about ideas. Like it's the best way to because the point is we're going somewhere. We're going somewhere. Yeah, like like we're, we're you know we're moving getting forward. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're moving from A to B. A to is B, A to B yeah. real? Don't care. Get yeah. in there. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a scene from The West Wing. <laughs> they're just like walking, talking, walking, walking, and talking. <laughs> they really are doing that on the West Wing all the time. Yeah, yeah. and there is rarely a still moment, and then Donna, yeah. you just hear a random scream. Just... Aristotle gives this incredibly smug speech where it's like, "Slaves built the Athenian economy. <laughs> Slavery is essential to the Athenian economy." Are you Do saying you know that? how you would have gotten where you are, sir, unless you had slaves? Are you saying <laughs> that Martin Sheen advocated for slaves? Then is, <laughs> is Martin Sheen supposed to be Aristotle in this? Case? Like, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like Aris. <laughs> Just someone very satisfied in his own rhetoric and right, yeah, like convinced the, that people can, you know, minds can be changed if you say something the right way. Well, yeah, so, if, so if Martin Sheen, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If Aristotle was the like smug, like have have you no shame, sir? West Wing character, he would be making an argument for slavery because that because because he's an ancient Greek. He's an ancient Greek, and yeah. slavery was the underpinning of most uh, ancient societies in the Mediterranean. But... And then he takes a step and like, wait, what clothes are you guys wearing? You know, as he's there in his robe and everything. <laughs> you know, and he's like, what are you wearing? Where am I? You know, and it's like that scene in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure where they pull off all these like great historical figures and they have... Uh, they famously call Socrates Socrates, yeah. which is pretty yeah. hysterical. They, yeah, and then they Aristotle, <laughs> you know, that's what it, it reminded yeah. me of. Then, then they have sex with him. <laughs> they really do. Like the stepmom has sex with Aristotle, I think. Yeah, I've never seen this. No, 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 no Aristotle was, 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 so was Socrates. Yeah, I think the stepmom does have sex with Aristotle, but... Yeah. Socrates. Well, I guess guess we gotta watch that movie. Mm. It's very historically inaccurate. But, yeah. Yeah. But anyway. In, anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, Nicomachean ethics. Uh, you want to have question. an opening question? I have a question. Go go for it. What is happiness? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that was the... <laughs> Yeah. Why don't we read a book and find out and see what it is? Well, first of all, it's an activity, right? Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, I yes, it's an activity with an end. Yes. So is it is that's what I wanted to know? Is the completeness of the activity is that end goal? Is that B? Is that what happiness is supposed to be? No, I th- I think. Or is it the journey? Is yeah, what it, is to, what to use, is. you know, an overused idiom. I think he would say it's more the journey, but not really the journey. It's the action, the activity. The activity of what you're doing, but yes. doing it to the best, though. Yeah, to, you have to do it excellently, yeah. which he just kind of tosses in. Like, he doesn't really explain why you have to do it excellently. Yeah. Other than, <laughs> obviously, it's better to do it well than not well. Right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's another Aristotle thing. I know we're doing, a, we're riffing on Aristotle here, but he does do a lot of like, obviously this is true, right? Like he's arguing from uh, sort of contemporary common sense. But, but yeah, happiness is an activity with an end. Why is it an activity? He has a reason for that one, doesn't he? I, I These think chapters it's... chapters are pretty short. They're too. pretty short. I think it's the reason happiness has to be an activity is because... No one is, you can't say someone is happy when they're asleep. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the uh, the act, if, here's, if activities are, as we said, what gives life its character, no happy man can become miserable. Yes, because it's not a quality that can be removed either by falling asleep or something happening to you. Right, yeah. Yeah, you had to achieve to that highest thing. And then just keep living in that state of activity. And that, so it's that activity that gives you happiness or that's what the happiness is? No, because, no, because he says that pleasure isn't happiness, right? Right. That living in pleasure isn't happiness. Right. Yes, but but it's not, so happiness is a consequence? Happiness is a happy consequence? Yes, of living excellently. Maybe we should chart out just... sketch out what his argument is from from top to bottom and how he gets there uh because he starts off by it very generally being like every action has some kind of end <laughs> and so like if you're a doctor your your end is healing people and making them healthy if you're an artist your end is painting a painting or like all these things have different ends is there like a general end is there a a a, a purpose that all human action is in some way striving towards and that that would be the notion of the good, right? And he even said there is no there is no thing because if everybody's doing something different, that you can't all be achieving towards that same thing. Yes, and I think those two ideas go together in that he's he's not saying there is some sort of capital G good, right? right? Yeah, because he just doesn't really care about that argument, and it's not specific enough to tell anyone what to do. And right. Since he thinks happiness is an activity. He needs to know what to do with his life. Yeah, he even kind of brings up the the plateness because the plateness were really concerned with something like this, mm-hmm. and and very Aristotelian fashion Ooh. sort of d- dismisses it dismisses it as being like very impractical and airy and concerned with the abstract. And he's like, I'm gonna figure out what's like how to live your life ethically, how to live your life. I'm gonna do it. Yeah. yeah, I'm gonna do it. Um, <laughs> you didn't do it. I'm gonna do it. Yeah, <laughs> which I feel like is what Aristotle did a lot. Was like you know just right. Yeah, him, he's give like him, give him Platonist like the one two and then and then moving on to build his little structure. Right. Yeah. There's several points where he's like, look, I could get in the weeds about this particular argument, but I'm just gonna skip it and move to the next. <laughs> yeah. That's why he's number two, right? Plato <laughs> is like trying to start, you know, grow these little, you know seeds of ideas and aristotle's just like let's just jump to the next step and start from there yeah yeah <laughs> should we go over why things like pleasure and honor can't be the ultimate good right because he, he he creates a list of three types of life right um yes, yes. there's the, the pleasure seeking political the political life and the contemplative and the con yeah and, and he doesn't really talk about the contemplative preview that's a big part of the later books right yeah it seems he seems to be spoiler <laughs> yeah, yeah <he's, coughs> this, this term will come up again he seems to be setting it up as like this is the good kind of life or the best kind the contemplative yeah 
Yes. Compared to the other two. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the pleasure seeking life isn't the real life or the really good life because it's kind of contingent and right, yeah, fortune yeah. can take it away from you. Yeah. It's always for another end. Like, why are you seeking money? Oh, it's for this other thing. Why are you seeking this other thing? Why, you know, to buy... Which doesn't work all the way down. Like, why are you seeking to have a good meal? Right. To have a good meal. To have a good meal, yeah. But then it does evaporate. That's, you know, you consume it and then the experience right. is gone. Right, it's a very transient Yeah, but you mentioned, like, like, the political life. He does bring up a point, and he keeps bringing it up, that the political is very much entwined with how humans interact with one another. You know, yeah. he... That I he pretty much suggested implicitly that you can't be happy unless you have some form of a political life, and that's not political. You know that you're not active politically. You know you're not voting for a candidate or whatever, but that you have friends and your interaction with your community. So that's, you took it to mean almost social in a way. Yeah, it's like social interaction. I took it to mean somewhat that, but then also kind of having to do with worldly honors and rank and like that sort of thing right it does also have to do with sort of the the science of ruling a city because he Mm -hmm. refers to politics as the greatest art and science Mm -hmm. so it's all of these right it's yeah social it's you know wanting to climb up the ranks Mm -hmm. in society it's yeah, he uses the term honor a lot Yeah. yeah honor and politics for some reason those two go pretty well together in his Per in his thing, like those. Can you those imagine things. that? Well, politics was like new, like the concept. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. yeah. they're like, like they're like this is cool. Let's just talk about this for as long as we can. Oh yeah, there was. I mean, because Athens was semi-democratic. I mean, it was democratic if you were an Athenian citizen. So, like, even if you were dirt poor, you could serve on juries, you could run for office, you could do all this stuff. And a man. And a man, right? Yeah, if you were. Well, that's Athenian citizen means. It's, right. It's, Sorry, Caroline. I'm so upset. And if you weren't a slave, too, <laughs> which outnumbered citizens. Which was like 95% of the population or something crazy. But Not that much, but it was a lot. More, more, fun fact, more Athenian, there, a greater percentage of the Athenian populace could vote than Americans after the revolution. For Wait, what? Yeah, because landowning uh, requirements on voting and political participation were still in place uh, in America after the revolution. Whereas in Athens, you could be dirt poor. And, uh, in fact, Socrates was dirt poor and was, uh, managed like major he managed branches the of the government. And yeah. Campaigns. Campaigns. And, and, yeah. and yeah. I mean, obviously if you came from a wealthy family, you had an advantage as you do in any democracy, but like, uh, yeah, it was, it was a technically a freer society, in America, which also had a shit ton of slaves <laughs> until like <laughs> several centuries into its existence, but but anyway, so when he says the political life, he means all of that. Yeah, he means yeah. Yeah, I thought there was an interesting point about seeking honor, and he's it also applies to other types of pleasures and awards. It, he says that if you can, if it can be taken from you very easily. Or if the award wouldn't be worth anything in certain circumstances, then it can't be true happiness. And I was thinking of the example of someone who is exiled from mm-hmm. a city that then, you know, has given that person a lot of awards. That's that's pretty meaningless. Right. right? Yeah. And so it must not be intrinsically valuable if it can be taken if away. If it can like be that. taken away. Yeah. yeah. Or like you die you know, a great man with lots of praise heaped on you, but then twenty years later history's view of you changes right and yeah i guess it couldn't have been worth that much if it can go away like that yeah like bill cosby what <laughs> <laughs> i mean he was not dead kind of wish he's not dead uh, no he's no. still alive is he I, I don't know actually he's still I'm cooking not but i mean like that's a us. that's a that would be news for my rss feed <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's still alive jesus born in the 30s um, <laughs> get a move on. Get a move on. Get fucking dying. Start dying already. Um, these fucking boomers. <laughs> these boomers. That's not a boomer. That's, That's not a the boomer. greatest generation. That, yeah. Um, <laughs> wait, I guess that is. Yeah, or silent generation. Yeah. Sorry, that's silent. Okay. Um. So yeah. So so the political life certainly seems better than 
the the pleasure seeking life, the hedonistic life, but not not as good as this contemplative life to be discussed in the later books in more depth. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but there is plenty he says now about what happiness is. Mm-hmm. First of all, in section seven, he comes out with this one. Happiness then is something complete and self-sufficient and is the end of action. So I guess that's a little different than what I was saying earlier, Stephen, because this mm-hmm. says it's the end of action. I was saying it is the activity. Interesting. Yeah. And to me, that just sounds like the complete end of pleasure. Go on. Like, you're satisfied with whatever task that you had already laid out, so you have that sense of accomplishment. Wouldn't that sense of accomplishment, by that definition, be happiness? I mean, he even talks about the Olympic athletes. Yeah, I think that would be part of his definition, but that's not just pleasure, right? No, it's not pleasure. I mean, I'm oversimplifying it. But that would be, as he's saying in that part right there, that um, happiness is that sense of accomplishment that you get from completing the task. Yes. Would it be projecting to say that it's not just the sense of accomplishment in having achieved something, but the sense that you are the sort of person who would achieve that, like of your, like a sort of pride and pleasure in your own capability and actions or is mm-hmm. that too much of a am i projecting a bit just because of his emphasis in other parts on what i thought was an ongoing activity I of think, excellence and see that's what i think happiness is i don't think happiness is something because right there you know it's something that you strive to from that right there it's something that you strive to but i feel that mm-hmm. it's kind of it's 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 it it doesn't feel necessarily complete because yeah. if you're striving to that end goal of happiness right you're missing out it, it's it's like you're reaching for that never-ending pot of gold at the end of the rainbow you're never gonna hit, you're gonna hit that rainbow and in it, my eyes is that a good thing or a bad thing I think it's a bad thing because you never you don't get to enjoy everything that you're going along you don't get to enjoy all your environment as you're going through that journey that journey that's an interesting question so is there enjoyment in his definition of happiness because if you pause and enjoy something like the fruits of your labor or what you get the awards you get that's something transient and you know right not what true happiness is so would would a truly happy excellent person enjoy things or like you know like yeah. winning 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 an oscar winning like best actor right, right. that you're technically the bet you achieved the best you were the best person doing this thing and you are being recognized for it you're seeing that's imparting some form of praise you know which he addresses and you're given this honor right but mm-hmm. as we've mm-hmm. said you know like someone can uh, receive the Lifetime Achievement Award and then be found out that he's this massive pedophile who also raped all these women. Just to pick an so, example. Pick an yeah. example. Sorry, Bill. There's actually several examples. Yeah, there's actually most of Hollywood. Almost an archetype. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, that's, you know, is that, like, would he, like, when you're, when you're holding that award, is that considered, like, this is what happiness is? Not 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 in the not in the objectifiable award or whatever, right. but just the experience of winning said award, being recognized, being praised by your peers for your work and for that excellent work that you did. Well, and then the, what do you do the next day? Do you just get up in the morning and that's, keep and doing yeah, the same that's, thing? But you already completed the task, though. You already won that award, right? Yeah, it, it almost seems deliberately inachievable, right? And because because happiness is the end of action. Obviously, if and you're even, still alive, you can't be at the end of action. He even addresses that, too. You know, like, is, does that mean that you can only be happy if you're dead? Right. And he says no. And he, he says, says that's no. not what he's talking about. He doesn't... So we read that section where it says happiness is the end of action. But in the very next paragraph, he's talking about the types of functions and, he's, and activities. And he's saying that the life 
of humans is a life of activity. And so if activity is pretty definitional for him, I... Right, yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, the way he's using end, it's not like, I don't think it's like, it's like, that's the goal. That's the target of action. It's not like an end state that you would ever achieve. I think yeah. part of me, uh, I had a little bit of difficulty reading this because I was, I'm still thinking about a lot of these concepts and a lot of these words that he's using, thinking about them a little bit too literally. Okay. I feel like that's probably, like, so when you said like completion of the task, like, okay, I just won the gold medal. Now what? Right. You know? Well, that's, I think that and, is one of the questions. And yeah. Is, and is that like, that's why it took, that's why I said I'm, I may be reading this too literally and not seeing it in a little bit more of a figurative stance. But, I mean, that is what it says. <laughs> so I don't think you're yeah, wrong. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. He, he, he does have that uh, turn of phrase where he's like, for one swallow does not make a summer, nor does one day. And so two, uh, one day or a short time does not make a man blessed and happy. So like winning the award, that's not enough. That's one, that's, that's one thing. That's one discrete thing. And it seems like the process of happiness has to be considered in in totality, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he has that section where he says that children can't be happy, yeah. which I thought was interesting. And I actually agree wholeheartedly. I think they can be maybe free of certain types of stress that they no longer have to yeah. deal with. And What was his argument again? Uh, exactly where, yeah, this. Where, where was uh, that? Because that was really good. When I saw that, that really stuck out to me, and I really, I really enjoyed reading that because... So um, it's at... 1100, which is at the end of chapter nine. It says that the end of political science is to create citizens of a certain character, good and capable of noble acts. And animals can't do this. They're not capable of sharing in that activity. And for the same reason, a boy also is not happy because he's not capable of such acts owing to his age. And boys who are called happy are being congratulated by reason of the hopes we have for them. I just say uh, the sentence, for this reason, also, a boy is not happy. Like, in my mind, registered as some, like, vaporwave text. Just like a, like, I mean, for this reason, also, a boy is not happy. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah. Does that relate to being cognizant of your ability to share that experience with somebody? So, meaning the boy isn't cognizant of his ability to share or like he's not realizing that wow we are we're we're sharing this moment we have this connection of this experience right he like he since he's like oh no like yeah we're like let's go play in the playground or whatever right it's like oh ha 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 whatever right since he's not fully aware he doesn't take that step back you're like oh i'm actually having a good time with this person why are you talking about other people? <laughs> well, because he like he mentions it uh, in the sentence right before, you know that, you know that they're not able to share to share in such an activity. Like you can't share that. At, like neither for mine. It says like neither a cow or a horse or any other animal is at all happy. For none of them are able to share in such an activity since um. they can't share. You know that experience. Because we can understand the experience that we are feeling right now. So we're all sharing this experience. But if you're a child, you're like, I'm happy. Are you happy? That is not how I read that. But it does make sense given that the paragraph right before it is talking about political science and the nature of being citizens. And that's why I said that you can't have... And maybe another thing is that as you're going along on this journey, you can't experience true happiness unless you're sharing it with someone else. I wouldn't say he goes that far because he, although he references politics a lot, this That's mostly... That's not... Did I, did I misread that part probably? Well, I don't know. It, it just so much of what he talks about seems to be one person and what they have to do to achieve happiness. I don't know. Maybe it is more interlocking than I was imagining. He does have that section where he talks about the happiness of your friends and relatives does influence your happiness, but not too much. Yeah. Like, so he maybe, kind of I mean, says maybe, it's maybe, I mean, I'm sorry? No, no, God. No, maybe, like, maybe that is it. Maybe it's a part of it, but it's not, you know. Does that mean that it's a spectrum? That happiness is a spectrum? Where, yes, I'm happy. I could be happier, but I'm happy. 
I mean, that seems true. He, at the end of one of these chapters, he makes the distinction between being happy and being blessed. Yeah. Being blessed is when just everything is going right for you. And he and he even says, <laughs> and he even says, like he's like, oh, that's bullshit because that like no, like <laughs> life is not filled with that much chance. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. But I like this question: To what extent does happiness have to be shared, or to what extent does happiness require? your interaction with society and other people. Right, yeah, because it seems uh, something that stood out to me reading this, particularly, I mean, we're thinking of ethics, that term has kind of a loaded meaning, I think, in the modern day, is he's talking so much about what seems so self-centered, right? Like, like living the good life is some kind of property inhabiting you, and who cares really what's going on? At least that's sort of how it's framed initially. And it seems so alien because it seems like when you talk about ethics today, it's it's a matter of sort of sublimating your own desire to do good to others, right? But it does make a lot of sense in terms of the move he did at the beginning of the book where he says happiness must be something that isn't contingent on accidents. Right. It has to be something that can't be taken away by other people's actions or by some quirk of fate, because then it wouldn't be true happiness. Right. Which to me kind of goes to this image of a man alone, almost indifferent to what's going on around right, him yeah. and the people around him. He does some Descartes move of like, <laughs> of like quarantining <laughs> off and just like sitting there content. Yeah. Just brain in a vat or something. Yeah. <laughs> brain in a vat. It's an abnormal brain. <laughs> but that was, I guess, like, that was one thing that I was, like, kind of hung up on. I mean, was... it's a pretty big question. <laughs> I mean, a lot of these are pretty, I mean, you could pretty much take a part in any one of these chapters and just have an entire... Yeah, and, and part of, uh, she says that a happy man, uh, no happy man can become miserable. Uh, basically, that you have to, to sort of roll with the vagaries of fortune uh and wherever they land and be able to deal with it uh uh well i mean yeah the parts the part we just pointed to and that steven was looking at makes it sounds <coughs> like sound like happiness is almost a matter of character and that's why yeah. children can't have it because children don't have character because they, they haven't had time enough time to build up the conscious decisions that make one's character that makes because sense. Because they haven't been molded into perfect workers for the state. <laughs> I mean, you say that, but it is... <laughs> I mean, there is... The flip side of this is that if someone's unhappy, it's due to their character, right? Like, right, this is uh, kind of harsh, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's the... I mean, this this is maybe pulling some context out of it, but that's the difference between the Greco-Roman understanding of ethics and the the, like, Jewish... Christian, I hate combining those two, but like the the Christian notion, the the Abrahamic notion, because like in the ancient Greek world, if you had a like a disability, like your foot was lame, like that's your fault. That's because you suck. Like that's because like there must be something wrong with you for you to have that. Yeah. Like your external appearance is telling, letting people know that you're a bad person in some way. Mm-hmm. And Judeo-Christian, it's like yeah, God just hates you. You know. <laughs> I mean, certainly. Like Protestant Calvinist yeah. that approach, yeah. yeah. Right. But there is also a line of thought where you have just compassion for people who aren't doing well in life, right? right? Yeah, the and ideas, that's what you're pointing to. That's different than this different, idea of like, yeah, yeah. Sorry, you're unhappy. Have you considered being a better person? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, you're unhappy. Have you considered chopping your leg off? Maybe that'll help you out. Right. Yeah. yeah. Which the comparison to character is is or uh, that the, describing it in terms of character makes sense because it's like. Yeah, you're unhappy because you have a bad character because, you know, you're... Because you just haven't been excellent enough. Yeah, yeah you haven't been good doing. enough. You yeah. suck, man. Yeah, which, yeah, you hear, we hear that now and it's it seems so repulsive. Like, you're like, oh, God. Well, it seems it's... so repulsive in some ways. In some ways, it's kind of empowering, right? right the yeah. idea that happiness is my own decision, you know, free of anything in the world. It just has to do with a sort of personal excellence which i interpret as interior excellence but that's mm-hmm. not necessarily what he right, says yeah. just get into harvard business school <laughs> yeah but Join i mean like you said something about 
praise, though, you know, like, I mean, does that, like, and he doesn't say this, because he does, but, like, how, the way that we praise people, you know, we're comparing ourselves to someone else, you know, based on other pe person's accomplishments, you know, you are far, you far exceeded all of everyone else in this field, so we're going to give you praise for that. Should that external praise be also a source of your happiness? I don't think so. And I also think that must not be what he means by excellence. I mean, I think he would be happy to accept someone winning awards as an indication of their excellence, but not the absolute proof of it. Right, yeah. Because it's, I mean, the political life is a lower form of life. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about what this activity is that we're supposed to be doing? Specifically, I want to look at the section in seven, which is the paragraph after the one we just read that says happiness is an end of action. And then it says in that paragraph, no, it's actually a type of action. He talks about the two, no, the three types of life. Right. Because um, he's saying, you know, one of the first things we need to do is establish the function of man. And right, so yeah, like, the function like man, of man is like a hammer. <laughs> right, and it, you know, the function of man isn't to just stay alive because plants do that, and it's not just to be perceptive because cows do that. Right. So yeah. therefore, the function of man must be something that is rational. And that's what's unique to man, so being an excellent man must have something to do with being rational. Is that how you guys read that? Yes. Um. And then it hasn't really further defined what that means. Well, Although he comes he back to it comes again at the end. very end, doesn't he? Yeah, where About he's... About being self-contained. Oh, where? At the very, very, very end of, of the thing. Of book one? Book one. It's like... Yeah, I'm sorry, not self-contained, like self-restrained. Um... <laughs> oh, we're just talking about the nature of desire? Yeah, the nature of desire. Wouldn't that be a, like a source of... Like right. another way, another avenue into reason. Yeah, because he says the rational element is what exercises power over mm -hmm. the desiring element. Yeah, so that's right. a, that's an expansive definition of reason. Yeah, right. In the, yeah. In the case of the self-restrained person, at any rate, it is obedient to the commands of reason, and perhaps it heeds those commands still more readily in the case of moderate or courageous persons, it is, since then it is in all respects in harmony with reason. So what is his definition of reason? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just getting them off today. <laughs> I, I, uh, I mean, that question's getting easy. But, but, but you're not going to answer. Moving, pulling no, an Aristotle. Yes, that's a question. Potentially an enormous flaw. But anyway, let's assume that I've answered it and move on to the next step in the argument. Um, it, it it seems like this is how he's going to connect the contemplative life to this other discussion. Is talking about the rational element. Kind of, except. Saying that the rational element is somehow the same as what I would call exercising willpower mm. and contemplation, those do not seem like the same activity to me. As in reason is the contemplative life? Well, he seems... Like exercising reason is... Uh, well, he, at several points in this, he seems to indicate that the contemplative life is the good life. He also says... The rational life, which here he defines as what I would call exercising self-control, is also the good life. Yeah. But exercising self-control is does not equal contemplation to me. Those does it different. not equal contemplation? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, uh, we're speculating because we haven't read books two through what, like seven. Um, but it... I don't know. I could I could see there being a connection there between self restraint and contemplation, uh, in that, in order to dedicate your time and mental energy to these philosophical issues, you have to not be swayed or basically pulled in other directions by these other 
lesser forms of happiness. So right? you have to be disciplined in you how you spend your time right. and energy. If you're someone that just wants to eat lavish meals, if you're one of these pleasure seeking idiots. Oh yeah, the pleasure you know, seeking idiots. Seeking, all right, like I like <laughs> I, I have no respect for the politics guys, but at least they're not the pleasure seeking guys. Um but they'll they'll have to spend all their time working and focusing on satiating those desires like those are at the forefront of their mind because as he says man is split between a rational and irrational element right mm -hmm. um the rational element controls that and allows us to think of things in a more co contemplative manner um similarly with with politics uh it's easy for one to be so narrowly focused on your own political situation and the, the biases that come within that that you can't step aside and think about more general truths or the way the world works. And so that can also be sort of something that self-restraint has to come in and, I don't know, limit. That makes sense. That does make sense. And that follows, like, and it's, in mine, it's the same paragraph, right, kind of ahead of that in the last, in chapter 13, or part 13, where, however we're breaking this up. For in the case of the self-restrained person, and of the one lacking self-restraint, we praise their reason and that part of their soul possessing reason, since it, it correctly exhorts them toward the best thing. So it's kind of similar. So because you see the reasons to act differently, you act differently. So it is connected to reason, what I would call, I don't know, willpower or self-restraint or right, something. Right, yeah. Um, but I do think that's certainly not how I normally use the word rationality. Yeah, neither do I. Uh, I rarely use it. <laughs> but, 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 interesting, but interestingly, that kind of squares more with how I thought of ethics at the beginning of like, it's a, it's a constraint on you. Ethics is telling you you shouldn't do these things uh, uh, that might come easily or might, you know, uh, benefit you in some lower fashion it's sort of what aristotle is talking here is like if you give in to these petty hedonisms then you will miss out on true happiness on the on the right path yeah but man it feels good <laughs> yeah. so right, why would yeah. i do that it feels so, like good. there's kind of maybe a way to view them in parallel but that makes sense but but here it's like actually it'll be better for you if you you know, exercise this self-restraint. It's not like, I know that you really want this, but for the good of us all, you need to restrain your desire. With that said, does that, do you get for, I mean, if using self-restraint, you know, is one of the things that we started like adding to that, what is what happiness is. Are you then praised for the amount of self-restraint that you use so it sounds like a very that sounds a bit stoicy to me and potentially uh problematic to praise people for being restrained because then they fuck up their emotions and are robots right or then it becomes they humble brag you know they're, they're trying <laughs> they to be... humble brag yeah that's yeah what yeah like yeah well, everyone tries to be modest then you're just bragging about a different kind of thing yeah humble brag yeah i think that's well i I mean, he he doesn't say. It's not clear to me that he thinks humility would be a virtue. Probably right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not definitely. I don't think Aristotle valued <laughs> humility. <laughs> I don't but on the that question, is this asking for too much self restraint or what's the what's the proper amount of self restraint? It's interesting because he doesn't really he hasn't mentioned any emotions yet. Mm -hmm. Which, to me, is crucial to any conversation about happiness. <laughs> but I don't, I'm not sure he would have a viewpoint that what happens inside of you matters all that much. Yeah. Given his emphasis on rational deci decision-making and action. Right, yeah. Like, the, there's, there's not a whole lot of internal struggle, right? Yeah, self-restraint is defined in terms of not indulging certain appetites which right. is different because than how modern day people think of self-restraint which is not just refusing to do certain things but also trying to make yourself feel a certain way 
like mm-hmm. I should be more grateful that those two are actually very different, but we tend to wrap them up into the same thing. Right. Yeah. Where it's like the Aristotelian move is to be super high status and be like, I don't even really care about honor. I can do without it. I, I mean, like I'm not shunning it, but I don't care. That's the Aristotelian move. No, I don't think, no, the ultimate Aristotelian move is to not even talk about how you feel or don't feel about something, but to just say, it is rational for me to contribute to my community and society. It is rational for me to contribute (laughs) to my community. That's what he sounds like. Yeah, for sure. Dumb. Dumb. (laughs) Dumb. How does does Aristotle sound? Dumb. It's just dumb. Uh, You have to be rational in order to be good, in order to be happy. (laughs) So are we skeptical? Is that what I'm hearing? Uh, If you do math problems for fun, you're happy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay. I have a a question. Yes. (laughs) Did this make you feel... Like, you knew how to be happy, or was this inspiring in any way? It felt more confusing as to what it was like to be happy. Okay. In a good way or a bad way? I mean, I like like you said, you know, he just lays out what his... I feel like he lays out what his definitions are. He gives some very baseline things as to what happiness is. And he said, this is what it's like to be happy. Moving on, and then he goes right on to the next chapter, and he starts talking about something else, and starts defining something else that could be part of happiness. And he's saying, this is what could be happy, this is like, this is what happiness could be, not be happy. This is what happiness could be, this is what it's also entailing, this is what it's also entailing. I feel that for me, after reading some of these books, I need a little bit more to work on before I can just accept what your one sentence is saying at face value. Okay, so you weren't persuaded by it, but did it have any sort of inspirational effect or any effect at all, other than just we're waiting to see the rest of his argument? I'm waiting to see the rest of his argument. Okay, fair. I, I get something out of it. I I, I feel like I, I kind of agree in a very simplified sense that happiness is a matter of disposition, and and character more than it is a matter of doing a certain set of actions like this might sound kind of pop psychology but i feel like the idea of where it's like i'm going to do these things and i'm going to be happy is not the way to do it you just sort of accept the world as it is the stresses and and problems that may emerge and and just sort of roll with it as best you can there will be times that are harder times that are easier but it seems like the times in my life where I've been happy have been ones that where it's more of like a, a, a posture towards the world rather than, I don't know, a, a deliberate framework guiding every single action. Like I, I definitely almost... think that the more you make being happy your goal, the less likely you are to have it. Right. Yes. Like the yeah, more times you ask be. yourself, am I happy? The less happy you're going to be. I think Honestly, that's what I took the most from that is that you can't make, like he even says, like happiness should not be the goal; it should be what you like. It should be consequence. Excellence. Yeah, it should be excellence of what you're doing. You know. Yeah. Honestly, like I, maybe this is not what he's talking about, but like when I feel happy, I it's it's like I'm a hammer. It's like I'm a tool. It's like I I serve this purpose, and I'm not even really thinking about it. You're right? in sort you're, of you're a, like a flow. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're in a flow, and it wouldn't even occur to you to ask yourself, "Am I happy?" Right. Yeah. yeah. It's like sort of beside. It's it's almost and usually in those cases, I dedicate that energy to some other task. Right. You're, which you're yeah. doing an activity. Right. Yeah. I was. All that being said, <laughs> I was actually kind of inspired by this. This came at a good time in my life for a reminder that happiness comes by just not even doing your best, but focusing on what you think excellence is. Mm-hmm. This was actually really, really good for me to read right yeah. now. Cause I, yeah, I'm early in my career. I don't have a ton of power over what I do and like, and sometimes over the outcome, but I can have power over how I do it. And if right. I, you know, at the end of the day, I feel like I did that, as excellently as possible, I can have comfort in that. And, you know, there's like security and ease in that thought. And then, and then, and then when you're in town, it's like, oh, wow, that actually makes me feel happy. 
you know, is that that's probably what he's saying in it is just do what you can do to the best that you can do it. Don't really fucking worry about what everyone else thinks, because in the end, honor really doesn't matter. Praise is kind of yeah. illusory. Yeah. yeah, so Aristotle uh, got, Number two. Yeah, <laughs> got more uh, uh, out of him as like a, an Elaine de Botton style, like uh, power of positive thinking, like no, uh, no. pop psychologist, N- no, more this... so than like an actual philosopher. No, I... Uh... No, no, I agree. That's kind of, I kind of feel... Well, that's how I feel, maybe. That is not how I feel. I think he actually did pretty philosophical job of just defining what the essence or at least some of the boundary properties of happiness must that's be. true like, there's the rest of the book obviously right which yeah read. which we're not gonna read but i don't think it was <laughs> no we're gonna read it i'm gonna read it <laughs> which we're gonna assume what he you can kind of guess the rest of the things he's gonna say you get where he's going you know? yeah um no i i enjoyed it and it seemed rigorous enough that it wasn't just you know, some like bumper sticker of I'm trying my hardest. Like that's not what he means. Like you have to actually be excellent. Right. Definitions yeah. kind of vary as to what that is, but it's not just like a whiny, I'm just doing my best on coffee and Vicodin or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> like, wait, wait, who's what is this character? This Man, character. that is a that is a cocktail right there. Wait, I don't wanna know say what that someone feels we know like. and then we'll beep the name out. <laughs> no, this character is someone who okay so you can take the idea of i'm just trying my hardest and the problem with that is it's fucking vague and we always feel like we're trying hard but if Mm. you say i am being excellent or trying to be excellent like that has enough rigor to it right it's a virtue it's not an it's not like a regimen of activity it's like something it's a it's almost a quality right no, I would like, say it's more a regiment of activity that helps guide you, and then happiness obviously is. So it's being more like active. you know, like walk, like hopefully that you know, walking the walk is what makes you become this excellent person and makes you become happy in a sense. Like I'm going to read this book. I feel very unprepared in how I was trained and how to read, but you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to give it the best shot that I got. And I'm going to go into a discussion like, hey, I can kind of hold my own in this discussion about this book. I did pretty well. I feel like that should be a good pat on the back. Yes, like that. that. Um, I think being excellent for me means a little more specificity. So like I'm preparing for my first hearing or whatever as a trial attorney. I can imagine a very definite set of ways that an excellent attorney would prepare for that. Like, you know, there's this checklist and I spent this time researching whatever legal issue could come up and this time organizing the folders I'm going to take in, whatever. But because it's specific and regimented, I will actually do a better job. And to Mm. me, that's the importance of saying you have to do your activity excellently because if it was just about my feeling that I was trying hard, I would just be like, well, you know, it's 8.30 p.m. I'm tired. I did my best and like go to bed. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, that's that sounds like that sounds like BS to me. It sounds like right. bullshit. That yeah. It's like because you can like, you know, like how saying that, you know, like there's no from it's, you know, that being procrastinating, or whatever, you know, like and it's like, yeah, I need to do this, but I'm being procrastinating. It's like, no, you can't do that. You know, you cannot get off the couch. That's kind of it's it goes pretty much against as to what Aristotle says, yeah. you know, and saying that no, you know what you have to do, and self. That's what probably what self restraint would probably be is that self restraint would be, I know what I have to do, so I'm gonna do it, even though being lazy and laying on the couch and just binge watching Netflix, you know, that sounds great right now. Right. That's what self restraint would be. I right. Think. And, it, you know, I'm sure at other points in other recordings, mm-hmm. other books, we'll talk about the limits of self-sufficiency, blah, blah, blah. But right, yeah. for this, at its base process. level, it's, to me, kind of inspiring and helpful yeah. for the point I am in, in my life. I, I agree. I, I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, cause I, I did not like other Aristotle that I had read. And this 
I don't know. I'm fairly ignorant to it, so yeah. I'm like, all right, this ain't that bad. Let's see I what. It. For me, like as a newcomer to number two, I'd like to see what. <laughs> like to see more behind what, that what, door. What, what more behind that door? Like what? What else is behind this number two? Yeah. You know. Yeah, and we'll finish it with Aristotle's book two of Nicomachean Ethics, known as the Secret of Alpha: <laughs> How to Unlock Your Mind Power by <laughs> by, Aristotle. By, by, by Aristotle. Yeah. By Aristotle. Say it. <laughs> Say it. <laughs> By, by Aristotle. <laughs> yeah, we did it. If there is ever the impregnable question of why, what did or didn't pass, it would help to seek comfort in destiny. Yeah.